when I became, when I turned 15 years old, it was time for me to ask myself some hard questions. And in the process of asking myself those questions, I left the church. The question was, does God exist? After a long period of time and a long period of searching in my own life, I came to the conclusion that God does exist. But beyond that, the next question that I was asking myself at the time, in a very, very questioning period, was, if God does exist, then what is the true way to God? I did a study of all the world's major religions, past and present. And in that study, I came to find that Jesus Christ stands out in many, many ways. Christianity is much different from the other world's religions. Even inside that, when I was convinced that Christianity was the true way to God, I had to find out what inside the realm of Christianity was the true way to God. So I did a study of different beliefs, such as Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, uh, and others, to find out what the true way to God was even within the realm called Christianity. In doing that, I found that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that has been the most profound conclusion to any question that I've ever found in my life. This morning, I would like to share a little bit about Urbana, Illinois. The Lord has worked in many different areas in my life. One of the biggest areas he's worked in is that he's changed my attitude toward people overseas. And he's given me a heart for them. One of the ways in which he has done that is through Urbana. Urbana is a conference that is held approximately every three years. This year it will be held from December the 27th through December the 31st. If you can imagine 17,000 college students and alumni of colleges coming together at one time, all with the same burden to find out more about people overseas and find out about how they can better serve in mission field, then you have an idea of what our banner is about already. Our banner is the largest student missions conference in the world. There are people from all over the world who will be attending Urbana this year. Featured speakers this year will include Dr. Billy Graham, Louis Palau, John Kyle, Pete Hammond, Gordon McDonald, and George McKinney. The theme of the Urbana conference this year is Faithful in Christ Jesus. Urbana is an exciting time. It's a time in which you see many lives changed in a number of different ways. There's nothing more exciting than to see students go who are perhaps a little hesitant to commit themselves to any type of missions work or even to admit that they're thinking about it to any degree and then come back from the Urbana conference with a real burden for people overseas and to see them start praying for, for students, for other people in different countries over the world where Christianity is not part of a free society, but one in which you're persecuted for what you believe. At the present time, we have 20 students from Montreal Anderson College who are interested in going to Urbana and who have signed up. We also have many more who are interested in going to Urbana, but who do not have the money to do so. And the cost of the conference this year is $195. That does not include some of the transportation costs to the conference. There also is a $75 registration fee which has to be paid at the time that the students register. Now, the Montreat Presbyterian Church, in an effort to help the students go to Urbana, Illinois, and to this conference concerning world missions, have established an Urbana Fund this year for the specific purpose of helping the students who are in financial need. 
we would like to ask for your help with this fund as you feel led to today if you feel that this is something that you would like to help out with then at the time of the offertory you can make out a check if you would like to the Montreat Presbyterian Church uh, designate on that check somewhere that it is to be for the Urbana Fund if you would like to help the students go to this conference this year. The cost of this conference on world missions is greater than it has been in the past, but I can assure you from personal experience that the benefits of Urbana 84 for the students who go will be much better and much greater than ever before. Thank you. You may wish to follow the reading of the scripture I have printed the text at the suggestion of one of our elders in the bulletin, the text of Scripture. We will go through this uh, passage this morning. Uh, if you want to follow it, look at your bulletin on the right-hand side. Let me uh, also add on behalf of the president of our college and the office bearers of our church our welcome to the uh, parents who are here and the other visitors in the Montreat community. For the benefit of those who listen, on the six-state area served by WFTW-WMIT. Uh, we have been going through a series of sermons in the Book of Acts, and we have now come to the last chapter of that book. Last week we saw a tremendous storm through which the Apostle Paul passed, and also those who were with him. 276 people on board a great grain ship that was bashed to pieces in a storm that had lasted for two weeks. And so they now have made their way to a shore, and that's where we pick it up. They will land on the island of Malta. This begins reading with, with uh, the 28th chapter, verse 1 of the book of Acts. And when they had been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta, and the natives showed us extraordinary kindness. For because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly this man is a murderer, and though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. And it came about that the father of Publius was lying in bed afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. And after this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. And they also honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all we needed. And at the end of three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. And after we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we sailed around and arrived at Regium. 
and a day later a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Puteoli, and there we found some brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Appius and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And when he entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. Now may God bless to our hearts this reading from his word, and let us let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we have some money to give, and we pray that it will be used rightly, and that it will bring honor to Jesus Christ. We thank you for the testimony of the young people, which we have already heard today, for Brad Daniel and for his witness for you. And we thank you for Marcia Bronson and her witness. And we thank you for young people whose lives are a great inspiration for us, for Joseph and his testimony and confession of faith. And because we want others in many places to know the Lord Jesus, and because we also want to lend practical help uh, to people who are, are afflicted, we ask that this money may be used for your glory and that you will bless us in the act of giving and help it not to rest simply here, but to continue on with us as the week progresses and as our lives unfold. Now bless us as we look into your word and illuminate our minds with its truth and then help us to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. We got a new microphone and Rob and I are trying to figure it out. Rob is the engineer upstairs. Uh, I remember Billy Graham being in a storm one time in London. Uh, and uh, it was uh, in an airplane. And uh, so some people in the airplane came to Billy and asked him if he would pray, which he did. And uh, later we were talking about it, and I told him of a Catholic priest who was a friend of mine who was also in a storm. And someone came to him on the airplane and asked him if he couldn't do anything about it. And he replied, I am with sales and not with management. <laughs> and uh, sometimes we feel that way when we get into a storm. Well, last week we saw a tremendous storm that came and there were 276 people on board the vessel. And yet God protected that vessel because of his servant Paul. You see, God wanted Paul to go to Rome. He had promised him repeatedly that he would go to Rome. And to Rome he was going. Riding on that ship would be Philippians and 1st and 2nd Timothy and Colossians and some of the other letters that Paul wrote from prison in Rome. And so the Lord God has his own purposes and his own plan, and he works it. And so I observed then that sometimes in a storm it's best to be with people who are right with God because the, you can be blessed. And conversely, you can get around people who are not in the will of God and get in a lot of trouble. This was, of course, the experience of the sailors who were sailing with Jonah. Uh, when he was running from God and they encountered a storm. But when you're with a man of God like Paul, you can be sure of the presence of God and his sovereignty in working in your life, uh, that which is good because his purposes are coming on that servant. I read an interesting statement about a minister, a young minister whose wife suddenly died. 
His whole world had caved in. He went into an acute depression, and one day he was listening on the radio, and he heard a great word of comfort and strength from the man who was preaching on the radio. He wrote to the man on the radio, the preacher, and asked if he might have an interview with him, which was arranged. And at the conclusion of that interview, and a long time of prayer and soul-searching together, the young minister who had been sorely tried came out of the office of that older minister whose experiences with God and knowledge of God's word and will had been helpful and said, I thank you, God, for that man. When I went in there, all the stars had dropped out of my heaven. And one by one, he helped me to put them back. That's a great comfort. One by one, he helped me to put them back. Go back to this scene. Here, these people had gone ashore, not knowing what the island was. It turned out to be Malta. Not knowing whether there would be people who would be hostile or people who would be friendly. Think of it, 276 uninvited guests who come ashore. And they were treated with great kindness. In the old King James Version, it says that these people were barbarous people. And that's a little rough word, barbarous. <laughs> Since we've taken this Greek professor in this morning, I've got to be careful. That means non-speaking, uh, non-Greek speaking people. So the only non-barbarians we've got here today are Art and John Newton and a few other Greeks. Uh, but anyone who didn't speak Greek language sounded almost like the bleat of a sheep uh, to uh, a Greek-speaking person. And as a sheep would have a bad sound, they called them barbarians. And so that's how that crept into the King James Version. Well, these islanders were really native. They did not have the education or the civilization that had come from uh, Greece or Rome or Jerusalem, but they showed tremendous kindness to these people who uh, were washed up on their shore. When we have visited the coast of North Carolina, we think unhappily about certain people there uh, who lured ships into uh, devastation so that they might uh, steal some of the, the cargo that was on the vessels. And these are supposed to be civilized shores. So these people were extraordinary in their kindness. It had been raining, they were wet through and through, they were cold, and a big fire was built, and uh, they were warmly received by these natives. And that must have cheered their hearts. And then Paul was gathering a bundle of sticks. And somehow, in picking up these sticks, maybe uh, the snake was some way uh, in amongst the uh, little branches that he picked up, he was bitten by what is called uh, literally a viper. Uh, and it fastened on him. Now, there, <laughs> the commentaries are interesting at this point. They tell you there are no poisonous snakes on Malta. Well, 20 centuries have gone by, and the ecology of Malta is not quite the same 
uh, now that it was when Paul was there. And some of the liberal commentaries maintained that this snake only gummed Paul a little bit. <laughs> but nonetheless, the natives probably uh, knew more about that than some of the people who write the commentaries, and they expected Paul to swell up and die, and they wouldn't have expected that if there hadn't been some poisonous snakes around there. And uh, so they watched of Paul and uh, expected that he would die. And then it's interesting to see what they say. Undoubtedly, now that's a big word, undoubtedly this man is a murderer. Though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. This tells us that sometimes when we go through adversity and sickness and hardship, we must not conclude automatically that this is some visitation of punishment. Job was a great servant of God whose ways pleased the Lord. And I have often pointed out that one of my favorite old Bible teachers used to say that for him, the sweetest words in the Bible were said by the devil. Because when the devil came uh, to God to ask for permission to afflict Job, the devil said to God, you have built a hedge about him, and I can't touch him without your permission. And God said, go ahead. You can touch him. You can afflict him but he'll be true to me. And so if you're going through a storm in life, or if you come into such an experience as this, you may know that God has his own purposes at work when you belong to him. These people, uh, in their superstition, concluded that uh, uh, Paul must have been a murderer, and that though he had escaped the sea, he would not be allowed to live. In verse 5, it says that he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen, they changed their minds and began to say he was a god. Isn't that interesting? We're going to watch a lot of people elected to high office. And it's always interesting to see what we expect of leadership. One minute they said of Paul, he was a murderer, and so he's going to die because this, this viper has bitten him. And then when that doesn't work out that way, they swing the other way with the pendulum and say he is a god. And I remember because I knew President Johnson that right after John F. Kennedy was shot, and President Johnson suddenly was thrust into the office of President of the United States, uh, just in a, that horrible, dramatic moment that occurred in Dallas. After he had returned to the White House and after the uh, funeral services, he began to have come there to visit him, uh, former presidents and other wise people to share with him wisdom about uh, how to run the country. And Harry Truman came to see President Johnson. And... Uh, he said to him something that's worth remembering when you see how people change in their opinion. He said, Lyndon, you're going to have people coming in here telling you that you're the handsomest man in the world and the smartest man in the world and that uh, all manner of power is now yours because you're present. And you know you ain't that smart. <laughs> and uh, that, <laughs> that was a good word to the president. 
uh, it was something that pulled him back down. I'm glad John prayed for me to be humble this morning. I've got a lot to be humble about. And uh, 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 this is something that all of us need to, to remember. Begin to say that he was a God. They switched from one way or the other. And in life, we have to remember that fact and hold to it that uh, whether the crowds blame us or whether the crowds praise us, that we must be true to God. This is a book uh, of sermons. They're short sermons preached in solitary confinement. That's when you're in a prison. No one else speaks to you. And this man, to keep his sanity, began to preach sermons to the angels, to the saints who had gone to be with God. No one cared what he said. No one else could hear him. But he constructed them and preached them. He was in Romania and for 14 years was in prison and for a great part of that time in solitary confinement. And he has one very interesting illustration which I like very much and which I pass along again to you. He said a young king was quarrelsome and gave no peace to the wise old king of the neighboring country. The old king entreated for friendlier relations, but in vain. The young king started a war, and the old king, remembering how many foolish things he himself had done in his youth, and that there is an age from which we cannot expect great wisdom, gave orders to his soldiers to capture the young prince his enemy, but to keep him alive. And so it was done. He was brought in chains before the victor, and the old man pitied the youngster. But he pretended to be very angry with him, and he sentenced him to death. The young king was horrified, and he fell down before the old king and begged for his life. The old man told him, I'll give you a chance. Tomorrow you will be given a bowl of wine full to the brim, and you must walk from one end of the main street of the city to the other without spilling a drop. If you do not succeed, your life is lost. The next day the procession started. The prisoner with the bowl of wine started his walk, and around him were soldiers to guard him, and behind him was the executioner with his glistening axe a terrifying reminder that he would be beheaded on the spot if he spilled one drop of that wine. The old king had arranged that a crowd should be assembled on either side of the street. That one side of the street, the mob was to boo and to sneer and to scoff at the young prince. And on the other side, the crowd was to cheer and to call out words of praise. The prisoner succeeded. He did not spill a drop. And the old king asked him, when so many people were mocking you, did you answer them back? And the young man said, no, I had no time for that. I had to be careful not to spill one drop that was in that bowl. But when the people cheered, what did you think? The young prince said, what business had I with them? Their praise could not help me. I was concerned with that bowl that I would not spill one drop. 
And then the old king gave him this advice. You've been entrusted with a soul, and you have to bring it back to the Lord whole and clean. That's the only thing that counts, and if you do not succeed, you perish. Don't seek the applause of men by cheap victories, and don't worry if they mock you. Watch over your soul. The Holy Spirit works in us that word of conviction. I told Joseph yesterday when we were talking about the implications of his being baptized that you will see people who are phony Christians. They've already made professions of faith. They belong to churches, but they are not sincere with God. You remember this, Joseph. I told him yesterday, God does not grade on a curve. It's worth remembering. God doesn't grade on a curve. You have your own soul to be responsible for. And by the Holy Spirit's power, you're to be faithful, faithful to God. And so this is exactly the lesson that we can glean from this experience here. We also read that there was a man sick, a chief administrative officer, and Paul uses a very correct word here, whose name is Pubulus. This man entertained them courteously for three days. Well, that's the whole 276 or, or a certain group of them. I don't know. They stayed there on that island for about three months. And Paul again shows that a man of God can be a blessing in a home because in that home there was someone afflicted with a terrible fever with awful consequences. And Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. That's a, a fulfillment of divine promise that God had given to him, and the man was healed. And after this, they, the rest of the people began to come to Paul and seek healing. And it says here they were getting cured. The word for cured there is a little bit different from the other word. Uh, I got this Greek teacher, and I got to be careful. <laughs> it's the word from which we get therapeutics. And it may have been that Luke was helping him a little with his uh, knowledge of medicine at that point. And then it says, they also honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all we needed. Evidently, these people were impressed by the mercy and work of God that had come about through their strangers who had been washed to their shore. And we see them blessed and returning the blessing. The greatest Christian I think I ever knew, at least the Christian who had the most profound influence in turning my life to the Lord, was an old lady who taught English for 50 years. She never married, she never had any children, but my how she worked on some of us to help us to know the Lord. I can remember once going home at Thanksgiving when I'd first been away at home, and then packing the lunch, which I would ride on the Greyhound bus to go back to my town 400 miles away. I noticed that she had made some little ham biscuits and she put them in the lunch for me to eat on the bus. And she said, now I've placed enough here for you to feed the person who is sitting by you on the bus. So be sure you say your blessing and then be sure you share it with the other person. And that was a good lesson for me to learn since it's parents' day here. I want to share 
this beautiful little poem which made me think of that dear old English teacher today. Where is my boy, my boy, and what part of the world? The boy I love best in all the school, I the teacher, the old maid, the virgin in heart who made them all my children. Did I know my boy aright? And think of him as a spirit of flame, active, ever aspiring. Oh boy, boy, for whom I prayed and prayed in many a watchful hour at night. Do you remember the letter that I wrote you of the beautiful love of Christ? My boy, wherever you are, work for your soul's sake, that all the clay of you and all the dross of you may yield to the fire of you, till the fire is nothing but light, nothing but light. There again, we find something that helps us to replace the stars, something that brings courage to us and spreads the blessing to other people. At the end of those three months, we sailed on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered in the island and which had the twin brothers. This has to do with constellations that, in the stars um, that are supposed to mean good sailing. And after we had put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there we sailed around and arrived at Regium. And a day later, a south wind blew and sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Petoli, where we found some brethren. Now, that's interesting. There were Christians there. And then I want to get quickly to this and close. We were invited to stay with them for seven days. And thus, we came to Rome. I remember going out on the Appian Way myself many years ago and trying to go to the spot where Paul would have walked when he came into Rome and thinking of all the great figures who had come into Rome, the conquering heroes, and of that one little Jew with a chain on his wrist, chained to a soldier who would have come into Rome, and how the whole world has been moved by that man because of the power of the indwelling Christ in him. And thus we came to Rome. The brethren came to meet them there. That's the same word that comes uh, to us at the second coming, that the Lord will come to meet us, or we will go to meet him in the air. It means they met him, and that a person even of Paul's stature uh, is uh, rejoicing because he receives courage. And the brethren, when they had heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Appius. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now remember, Paul had written a letter to the Romans, hadn't he? They'd already gotten this letter. And somehow through the evangelical grapevine, it had gotten to these people in Rome that Paul was out there on his way into the city of Rome. And so they sent a little delegation out to meet him and to encourage him. I'm sure that some of them said, Paul, we got your letter. Please explain what you mean in Romans 7. It's, <laughs> you, you, it's, there were some hard things to be understood there. They came out to meet him. But these are Christians who help one another. And uh, that's good. Humble Christians who encourage another. I once remember seeing a... Um, statement by I saw with my own eyes uh, almost this same scene repeated. I remember seeing General William C. Westmoreland 
out in um, Vietnam one time. I was with him on a trip, and I was standing right beside him. And uh, we were out in the jungles at a camp that had been overrun by the Viet Cong, and great terrors had taken place. And there was one young soldier who had distinguished himself with great bravery. And Westmoreland told me to speak to him and bring him the greetings of the president. And this four-star general uh, looked at this humble little private soldier in the Vietnamese army and spoke some encouragement to him, and an interpreter interpreted it also for him. One time, Lord Tennyson uh, read a poem by the young poet Rudyard Kipling. And Kipling was just a very young man, and Tennyson was already Lord Tennyson. And so the young Kipling wrote back these words to Lord Tennyson. When the private in the ranks is praised by the general, he cannot presume to answer him. But the next day, he fights better. Now that's good. That man who was receiving the praise of Westmoreland that I saw was shaking like a leaf because there were four stars there and he was looking at a general. But you can believe you, me, after he left, that, that man felt six feet tall. He was a little short Vietnamese guy. And that would have meant a lot. Well, here Paul uh, is encouraged by these people who have come to him. Now then, what's God said to you? What's the main idea in the sermon? It's the sovereignty of God watching over his people. Is there anything that God would have you do to pass along some encouragement to someone else? Maybe someone who's going through sickness. I remember having a stroke and being taken into a, a neurological wing of a dingy, grim hospital in London and looking at the people who were paralyzed there and wondering if I was going to remain paralyzed and what would happen to me. Someone once came up to a man who was lying in that state and looked at him and said to him, how long will you lie there? You know what the patient said? Just one day at a time. Just one day at a time. He had courage. And so we gain courage from one another. And there may be someone who comes to your mind, maybe Peggy Bryan, Maybe Walter Hall, maybe David Duncan, maybe that young man in New York who awaits the brain operation tomorrow with all of the consequences that that unfolds. We should be, as Christians, especially mindful of these needs and prayerful for one another. Then we should encourage young people to have real faith in Jesus Christ, real integrity to know that God is, as Brad Daniel said a while ago, that he does exist and that he is with us and that he alone gives meaning and purpose to our life. And because we know him through Jesus Christ, we have great responsibility to live to the praise of his glory. Let us bow in prayer. Oh God, our Father, we thank you for the lessons that we can learn from your word, lessons which impose upon us 
a responsibility to one another, those of us who claim to know you, and for someone here who has never yet been able to come to that place in life where they really have admitted that you are God and that they need you, help that person to see what Joseph saw and to be willing to admit that they are a sinner and to yield to your forgiving grace and to the Lordship of Christ over their lives and help us to know those of us who have gone through some suffering or know friends who are suffering that you are working your purposes out and that you will have your way in the whirlwind and in the storm and that you will bring good and glory to your own name even through the hard circumstances of life and now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father in the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore.